Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. right now on Tuesday nights called Cultures in Conflict. We're dealing with some very important yet sensitive matters and tonight is no different. I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter 20, uh, chapter 1 verse 27. The book of Genesis chapter 1 Man and Jolie, so good to see y'all tonight. Welcome back. School over. Good. Good. Praise God. Good to see you here. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. This is our text from last week as well. We're adding this part. Genesis 2, 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. First time God said something wasn't good. It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helpmeet for him. Jumping down to verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, Whoa, man. (laughs) He said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, Shall a man, everybody say a man, leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is God's institution for family, for marriage, and for human sexuality. So tonight I want to talk about the battle of purity or perversion. A biblical approach to human sexuality. Purity or perversion. A biblical approach to human sexuality. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, God, that you have given to us what we need to know how to live godly, righteously in this present world. Lord, there is never an age that's too hard for you to deal with. There is never a question, God, that humanity has ever posed. God to talk about these issues that is ever beyond you. You have the answer. You've already set it up, and we want to give you glory. Help us, Lord, in this study tonight to show forth your glory, to give you honor. Lord Jesus, 
to be both compassionate, sensitive, but also not compromising the truth. And we give you the praise for it all in Jesus' mighty name that everybody said. Amen. God bless you. Welcome to Kingdom Life Bible Study. Hallelujah. I love Tuesday nights. I, I really do. I love Tuesday nights and to be able to present what the Lord is dealing with me about. Cultures in conflict. The warfare before us today is over what God says about human sexuality and what modern culture says about human sexuality. We are headed tonight on the front line of spiritual warfare. My topic is straight off of the front page news, the headlines. But that news is ripping our nation apart. This topic tonight is ripping our nation apart. It's destroying families. It is leading the world into the wrath of God. There are some prerequisites, some questions that I need to ask before launching into this sensitive study. The first question is, where do we start? When we talk about something like this, where do we start? One thing we realize today, and I want you to hear this very clearly, the battle is not us against them. Let me say it again. The battle is not us against them. It's not man against man, woman against woman. It is not Republican against Democrat. It is not the LGBTQ community against the church. The battle is the world and its system against God. Okay? The question is whose side am I going to be on? Again, the battle is not us first and them. The truth is we are all sinners. We tend to, on this topic, begin to classify sin as being something else than other sin. But we were all created in the image of God, but because of Adam and Eve, we all fell short of that through sin. The only reason tonight we stand on an opposing side of a topic like this is that we have been born again into the kingdom of God and have adopted a life that is not our own. Our opinions, our concerns, our thoughts, and the wills and ways about this topic have to do with what God says, not what man declares. Our life is not our own. So we are all sinners, and we are all and have been against God in some way. The Bible says that those that sin are of the devil. We are all unholy creatures. Unless we have been transformed by the saving grace and the power of the blood we sang about a while ago. You know, humans tend to see sin problem with others first without examining their own selves. We want to talk about, well, if they would do this, they'd straighten up. Well, when we begin to talk about sin, we got to first of all say, Lord, look at me, examining me. See if there be anything in me that is against your ways. Another question. We question, where do we start? We all start on the level of being sinners. We're either saved by grace and headed to heaven, or we're sinners lost and headed to hell. The other question I want to pose to you is, can we have compassion without compromise? 
Can we have compassion without compromise? One of the major issues for Christianity today is how will we answer the LGBTQ question about alternative lifestyle and human sexuality. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth and we should extend the same concept. Grace is God's unmerited favor and love and strength. Truth is God's holiness, righteousness, and perfection. These two work in harmony by bringing the redemption of man through Jesus Christ. The gospel brings a warning message, but it also brings a hope message. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 states that those who committed same-sex acts should not inherit the kingdom of God. Somebody say truth. But verse 11 says, And such were some of you. Such were some of you, but now you're washed. Now you're sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So here's the deal is that there is truth. And you can find on YouTube some, some, some pulpit thumpers that will just give you truth, but they don't give you any grace. Then you can find those that are all greasy grace and no truth. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. So should we. No, there is no place for mocking those of this persuasion. There is no place for bullying and teasing kids or adults that are dealing with these issues in their life. That's not what Jesus would do. Jesus loved sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus did not come to win an argument. He came to win a soul. He's the same one that said to the woman caught in perversion, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus loves sinners. But Jesus doesn't accept, condone, celebrate sinful acts. Neither should we. Jesus respected people that were struggling with their sin. He despised the religious that thought they were better than that. Jesus judged Everybody say, Jesus judged. Jesus judged, but he judged not to just throw out judgment, but rather to judge to save. Jesus judged to save. Say that with me. Jesus judged to save. And if I judge somebody of this particular persuasion, then I must be ready and willing to save them. Amen? Praise God. I want to tell you today that it is possible to love gay friends and family members without losing truth. Did that go over? Did y'all hear? Do I maybe turn up a little bit? Can you hear me? You good? All right. Give me a more, little bit more monitor here and I can hear myself better. Homosexuality and perversion was running rampant in Rome. It was running rampant in Greece. In Paul's day. When he wrote Romans, he writes the book of Romans from Corinth that the perversion capital, that was the perversion capital of Asia and it is where the goddess Astroth was worshipped in the Greeks and it was nothing but a complete sex orgy. That's all it was. 
The Greek culture actually taught that homosexual love was the highest form of love. It was no different in Rome for 14 of the 15 emperors were homosexuals. This is the backdrop that Paul is preaching from. This is the backdrop that the church of Corinth is having church. This is the backdrop that the church of Rome is having church. This is not anything new. Paul preached the truth so convincingly that while he was incarcerated in Rome in later years, he was converting these Roman guys left and right, these Italians, he was converting them. Guys that understood and knew about homosexual practices. Guys that understood about paganism and the waywardness of their day. But yet Paul was converting them so quickly they had to change the guards frequently. This is the backdrop of Rome. Amen. When we say that we're going to take a biblical approach to this subject, what are we saying? When we say we're going to take a biblical approach, the subject matter of human sexuality does not depend on a few verses. You will hear the so-called gay Christians who state that there are only seven verses in the Bible that deal with homosexuality. The attempt is to re-examine and explain these seven verses away. Can I tell you, if there was only seven, that'd be enough. If there was only five, that'd be enough. If there was only three, that would be enough. If there was only one, that would be enough. To see what God has to say about perversion, we must also see what God says about purity. Amen. What does God say about purity? What does God say about perversion? I wanted to say this to you today very clearly. God created the family. So God created sex. God has the right then to define the boundaries of both marriage and the pleasure of sex. God has the right to tell me what to do with my human sexuality. You see... Many today are saying, nobody has the authority to tell me who to love. Nobody has the authority to tell me what, what I can love and how I can be. Nobody has the right to tell me no. Amen. There are just two kinds of sexual acts. Write this down if you're taking notes. There's only two kinds. There's the pure and there's the perverted. There's the pure and there's the perverted. They are either legitimate or they are illegitimate. Sex is either carried out in the boundaries that God has prescribed within marriage or we are trespassing His commandments. Amen. Sexual purity. God created sex to exist in the confines of marriage only. Only. Somebody say only. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. That's more than just a metaphor. That is a reality. That when a man and a woman get married, they come together and they become physically one flesh through the sacred act of pure uh, uh, relationship. They become one. Let me just give you this illustration for sexual perversion from the book of Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22. <clears throat> Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shall ye lie with any beast to defile thyself. 
Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there too. It is confusion. Everybody say confusion. The word confusion means to violate what is natural or divine order. Confusion is perversion. That's what this word means. The root word for confusion here means something that is mixed, mingled, confused, or confound. Confusion is at the root of perversion. And if you think for a minute that they're celebrating one day I am this and another day I am that, they're confused. You think that they're celebrating this is who I am. I, I, I just woke up and all of a sudden I have these urges and I'm going to fulfill these urges. Amen. Satan cannot create anything, but he can only pervert and counterfeit. And so God has created the beauty of family. And he's created the beauty of sexual relationships within the confines of marriage. And Satan says, I will pervert it. I will, I will mix it up. I will confuse people about their feelings. I will confuse people about their emotions. They'll begin to feel like they, they, they well, I am oriented towards this. Or I am oriented towards that. Or, or I'm oriented towards something else. Let me tell you what the Bible calls sexual perversions. These are sexual things, sexual acts that God forbids. Are you ready? Are you buckled up, ready to go? Everybody say adultery. Adultery is sexual perversion. Why? It violates, violates the marriage covenant and it carries out sexual acts with someone other than a spouse as a married or betrothed person. Adultery is forbidden because it is a sexual perversion. It is confusion. All right? Polygamy. Having multiple wives or multiple husbands at the same time. Polygamy. It's a perversion. Rape is a perversion. It's forcing another person to have sexual relationships with another against their will. This includes human trafficking. And if we think that we know the depravity that happened under the Epstein situation, I doubt we know the surface. That is the perversion of our world today. But rape is a perversion forbidden by God. Prostitution in Scripture, is forbidden. The practice or occupation of engaging in sexual activity with, with payment involved is perversion. Incest. Incest. Human sexual activity between family members or close, close relatives is a perversion. And it sadly is becoming growingly more prevalent and acceptable in some eyes. So that's a perversion. Any and all same-sex activity, homosexuality, lesbianism, and bisexuality, engaging in sexual acts with a person of the same gender is a perversion, according to Scripture. Bestiality, having sex with animals, is a perversion. Sexual idolatry is a perversion. Any sexual act that is connected to pagan deity and pagan worship is a perversion and God is against us. Do you realize that today, today, modern day Wicca, 
The worship of modern day Wicca practices what they call sex magic in their worship services. Today, not in, in Old Testament time, but today. Then the last one I want to share with you that is a perversion is an all-encompassing, inclusive term, and that is the word fornication. Fornication. All illicit sexual acts outside of marriage is covered in this blanket word. That includes sleeping together before you're married. It includes practicing and, and operating with pornography. It includes sexual acts outside of created design. It includes living together outside of marriage. It includes all sexual immorality, including homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, and incest, according to the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. That word covers it all. So when Jesus said, save in the case of fornication, talking about divorce, he was talking about the, the ugliness of perversion that enters into a marriage. But looking at this list, I think that we all have to say to ourselves that there are times that we have passed the boundaries of our own inclinations and lust. We have passed the boundaries. Perhaps we've seen something that we should not have seen. Perhaps we had hearts intent on things we should not. Amen. We are all in some way have been guilty in dealing with this. We are sinners and we hear the truth and we are convicted of our sin and we repent and God forgives us and then says go and sin no more. Here's what I'm telling you is that we all need grace. We all must be covered by his blood. We all are sinners. Amen. And so when we talk about someone that is carrying on in a lifestyle that is perversion, we are no better except by the grace of God. Now, I want to talk to you about the LGBTQ. They've added the, 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 the symbol plus. I'm going to use my own term, okay? I'm going to call them Babylon's alphabet brew. Babylon's alphabet brew. They have worked hard to gain prominence and acceptance in today's culture. They have pressed an aggressive agenda. They seemingly are winning in politics. You realize that the equality bill that they just passed in Congress is the sanctioning and the connecting of sexual perversion to civil rights. You realize that one of our leading congressmen, who happens to be a Democrat, said, God doesn't belong in this discussion. God does not belong in this discussion. So the homosexual uh, community, the Babylon's alphabet brew, has taken over Hollywood, has taken over media. It's now their megaphone. They have seized secular universities. And it has now become their breeding ground. They have fought against psychiatry and the community of psychiatry. And they have won. Now they have set their sights on the church. They have set their sights on religious circles. And many have caved. Many have given in. Because of whatever reason. The question facing this generation is not only will we deal with homosexuality, but how will we deal with someone who calls themselves a practicing Christian? 
and a homosexual at the same time? How do we deal with that? Do you realize that there is a, a, a church known as the New Apostolic Church of the USA? That's the name of the church. And this is what they state on their website. An apostolic so-called church. The social, cultural, and political landscape within the USA is continually shifting and evolving. They like that word, evolving. The, the NAC USA must stay, in true to the, must stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ while demonstrating its relevance within the lives of all people, adapting to periods of change. We are experiencing this firsthand within the context of the LGBT uh, members. As always, we embrace the teaching of Jesus. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. So they have embraced perversion and called it the love of Jesus. Somebody say perilous time. Here's what is devilish. They are attempting to use the Bible to establish acceptance and agreeance and also celebrating. I, uh, pardon me for going back to this point, but I want to show it. President Barack Obama took this approach to Scripture when infamously he stated in May 9, 2012, quote, at certain point... I have just concluded that for me personally, it must be for me to go ahead and affirm that I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. The thing at the root of that we think about is. Boy, he does a lot of thinking, doesn't he? He continues, not only Christ sacrificing himself on our behalf, but also the golden rule. You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. What is happening is that Satan is back up to his old tricks, taking the word of God like he did with Eve, twisting it around to fit his own intentions and to portray uh, 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 the homosexual agenda, amen, has become Satan's song of excellence. So they tell us, if you reject same-sex marriage, you have rejected the golden rule. If you reject same-sex marriage, then you reject the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Those within the so-called gay community uh, of Christians denounce obvious biblical verses that condemn homosexuality to be misinterpreted, mistranslated, misapplied, and misused and misunderstood. Let me talk to you about some arguments. Arguments that they bring. Here's an argument that they give us from uh, the homosexual community that wants to dis discuss about the Bible and what the Bible says. Here's argument number one. Jesus never addressed the sin of homosexuality. That's what they say. All right? That's an argument. Jesus never addressed the sin of homosexuality. This is straight from their words. Jesus never said one word against homosexuality. In all of his teachings, Jesus uplifted actions and attitudes of justice, love, humility, mercy, and compassion. He condemned violence, oppression, cold-heartedness, and social injustice. 
Never once did Jesus refer to what we call homosexuality as sin. And so since Jesus did this, what's the big deal? Right? Never once did he refer to it, so what's the big deal? This argument is the same tired debate that we've heard for years. Show me where that is wrong in the Bible. Well, first of all, they're missing it because Jesus did address it. I said Jesus did address it. Jesus directly addressed sexual immorality in Mark, Mark 7 and 20, when he said, That which cometh out of the man that defileth the man from within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication. What does fornication cover? All of it. Fornications, murders, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolish. That sounds like a lot of love right there. How about that? That's the love of my Lord right there. And all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Amen. So he does address homosexuality. Jesus also addressed homosexuality in Matthew 19, verse 4. Homosexuality in Matthew 19 and 4. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them what? Say it. Male and female. Remember what that means? Okay. If you don't know what that means, go back to last week's lesson. And he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Well, pastor, how is he addressing homosexuality? By addressing God's plan for marriage? By addressing God's plan for human sexuality? By reaffirming what Genesis chapter 2 taught us? Amen. He is sure enough declaring the right way to have family and to have sexual relationship. Here's another thing that answers that question. Well, Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. First of all, that's laughable. Jesus, remembered was the Word, wasn't he? He's the Word. The Word was in the beginning. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So when God wrote in Leviticus, the Word was there. See? You can't divorce Jesus from the rest of the Bible. He said that I'm in all the Bible. If you want to find me, search the scriptures. I am there. And so when we try to look at it through the lens of Jesus didn't say anything, Jesus was the Logos. Jesus was the anointing. Amen. Jesus was the, 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 the head of the apostles. It was Christ's apostles like Paul who wrote Romans chapter 1. Amen. Well, for some folks, that's not enough. That's still not enough. Yes, Jesus said about it. He wrote about it. He talked about it. But let me, let me point you one other thing that you can think about. Jesus never, never spoke explicitly about pedophilia. Let me say that again. Jesus never preached against, spoke against pedophilia. So if he never spoke against homosexuality, carry the same logic out, then Jesus must be for pedophilia. 
Okay, that's argument number one, question number one. Question number two, the Bible never mentions or condemns same-sex marriage. Again, this is straight from a pro-homosexual Christian website, so-called. Although opponents of same-sex marriage claim that lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender unions violate biblical principles, this is what they say, no verses in the Bible explicitly addresses gay marriage or committed or, or comments on same-sex relationships. Here's my response. Well, there you go. No Bible verse comments on it. There's not one. I understand where they're going, but I think they slide right by the truth and the understanding. The Bible explicitly and implicitly states that heterosexual relationships that is normal in the human race, that it is normal for a man to marry a woman and they have sex and they have kids. God originated marriage as one man and one woman. Why would he even address something that is different and accept it? Because there's only one thing. It would be something different if they said, well, if a man and a man come together and they have a relationship, or a woman and a woman coming together, they have a relationship, and that's a marriage. You, you, you got two husbands, and you have two wives, and they call each other that. By definition, that doesn't make sense. There's not one single reference in the Bible that supports, condones, or paints homosexuality in a favorable light either. Not one. There's not one single example of homosexual couples as a model for a good family in the Bible. Not one. They, they, they go through the veil reference of saying that David and Jonathan were, were lovers. That is such a disgrace to, to what God has. Amen. If you want to know what God thinks about sex and marriage and life, read the book of Solomon. It is a whole love story about a Man and a woman, a female. That's right. Thank you. Every time a passage in Scripture talks about what it means to be a parent, it's in the context of a man and a woman. Every time that God talks about wife's responsibility and husband's responsibility, it is in the context of a man and a woman. Never in the context of a man with a man or a woman with a woman. Never. We're told how to love our wives. Our wives are told how to treat us. God help them. Amen. So this is very important. I want you to get this. So that is argument number two. Argument number three or question number three is the writers of the Bible were not addressing same-sex orientation in Romans 1, but rather the practice of preteris, pred or preterastery. Yeah, go, go look it up sometime if you want to. They say, and this is coming from self-proclaimed Bible scholars that have written books that are pro-homosexual and pro-Christian, they say, and they say that Paul was not talking about homosexual relationship between men and men, but rather preterastery, which is the vulgar practice where in Rome and in Greece, married men would have little boys as their sex toys. 
First of all, there is no evidence that being a homosexual is because of, un, of some unchangeable orientation. They want us to believe that is. There is no evidence. Everybody say no evidence. No evidence in science. No evidence in biology that a homosexual gene exists. If they could have found it, they would have. There is evidence that a person is black because of a gene. There is evidence that a person is Hispanic because of a gene. There is evidence that a person is Caucasian because of a gene. Because I don't know about you, but I can't change my color. I don't care how much I go to the tanning bed. I don't go. A black man can't change being a black man. A white man can't change being a white man. A Hispanic can't change being a Hispanic. A Chinese person, an Asian person can't change that. That's who they are. And here's what the, the, the Babylon's Brew community has done is that they have hijacked civil rights because if one homosexual ever changed from that particular inclination or orientation, then it throws to pieces their argument that it's a civil violation. If one transgender changes from back to back, to back, then all of a sudden it is a violation of the concept of what is civil rights. Civil rights belong to people and issues that are unchangeable. Talk about it. Look at it through history. But when we redefine marriage, we then redefine civil rights and make it what we want it to be. Man, y'all are shouting with me tonight. Again, I go back to, to what Paul said. And such were some of you. Amen. There is evidence in the ministry and life of Paul and in the Corinthian church that there were homosexuals that became non-homosexuals. And so let's get back to that argument that this, this is really a uh, preternasty preterasty uh, concept and not a homosexual concept. If that is true, that what Paul was writing about was about men with boys in a vulgar way, that this is really not related to a monogamous man with man relationship, then why does Paul put in there women doing that which is unnatural with other women? It just blows the argument up. They're looking for a way to hang themselves on some assurance that it's okay. Argument number four. I'm going to try to help you to answer questions that may come your way. We now, here's the argument. We now live under the law of love, and I can't help who I love. You heard that? I live under the law of love, not under the law, but I live under the law of love. One may have an affinity or an affection, or even a sense of desire for the same sex. But that does not make it righteous. They say love is the fulfillment of the law, and it means to do no harm to others. The church's teaching on homosexual practices being a sin has done, they say, tremendous damage to the Babylon brew, alphabet brew folks. 
If we are to love our neighbor as ourself, then we must, here's what they say, love, affirm, and do not have uh, and have respect for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Christian, okay? I'm talking about Christian that call themselves Christian. Hmm. What does the Bible say in, in 1 Corinthians 13? That love does no evil. Love does not rejoice in lies. So when they espouse, I love who I love, and, and you're supposed to love me, and, and love is based upon acceptance, and love is based upon whether you agree with me, and you agree with who I love. Well, today I can love this, and tomorrow I can love that. What, where is it going to stop? Where is that concept going to stop? Is it going to stop when a man says, I love a 10-year-old boy? Or a woman says, I love my cat? Where is it going to stop? Oh, Pastor, that's ridiculous. We said years ago, it's ridiculous to think that we'll ever get to the place that transgender would be an accepted uh, uh, activity or homosexuality would be an accepted marriage activity. Only in 2012 was it voted upon and passed upon. Mm. Politics is sometimes the devil's tool because here's what happened. In the Obamacare amendment, they slipped in redefining family. And that opened the door when they could go then before the Supreme Court because family had been redefined. Now they can redefine what marriage is all about. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Let's go to the book of Romans chapter 13. This is a, the verse of scripture that they actually use about love. That love is the reason and Love, and love who I love, and can't help who I love. And just can't help myself. Well, you don't have sex in Walmart. I just can't help myself. Is there ever a time you're not involved in that activity? Oh, you can help yourself. You can help yourself. You see, at the heart of it is that I can't control my passions. So let me do what I want to do. Let me do what I want to do. <clears throat> Here's one of the verses they use. Romans chapter 13 and verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. What is adultery? It's a perversion listed in the same perversion as homosexuality. But we're supposed to love in the form of, i got to love you even though you're in perversion. i got to love you. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment. So we're going to pick and select what commandment we want to choose. We're going to pick and select that we're going to go against stealing. We're going to go against bearing false witness. But don't put us in the classification of perversion. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Somebody say that's true. They also say love worketh no ill. 
That is true to his neighbor. But you can work no ill towards an adulterer. You can work no ill towards a homosexual. You can work no ill towards a liar just as much as you can anyone else. It doesn't mean that I take vengeance upon myself. That I become God's judge, executioner at the same time. They say the law of love requires that we embrace same-sex marriage and deny them the right. To deny them the right violates the law of love. Who can argue with that? Love wins after all, doesn't it? Love wins after all. The reality is that God puts sanctions and restraints on all human activity related to sex. Somebody say amen. Quickly, I want to go to this one, and that is they, pick, they tell us that we pick and choose what scriptures that we want. They'll give this whole song and dance about the law. Well, the Bible says selling your daughter to slavery is okay. So, there you go. You pick and choose. My boss works on the Sabbath. Should he be put to death? You pick and choose, don't you? People are eating dead pigs. It's called bacon, y'all. It's the marinating source of heaven. Oh, my. There's this guy down the road that has planted different crops and put them together. The Bible says stone him. Shouldn't we stone him? So the Babylon alphabet brew salivates over this line of logic when they say, y'all are hypocrites because you accept some laws and reject some others. Their charge of hypocrisy is true. We do. We select some laws and we reject some others. Why? Because the Bible says to rightly divide the word of truth and to understand if you study scripture and you study the law, there's not one phase of the law. There's three phases of the law. There's not one kind of law that is for open for everybody. There are three different types of law. There is the moral law that is universal. Thou shalt not kill. All the Ten Commandments, universal laws. Thou shalt not. They are universal. They apply every nation, every place. Then there are ceremonial laws that apply to Israel and their worship. Then there are civil laws that apply to judiciary procedures within communities. And so what they do is they say, y'all say no homosexuals, but then you eat shrimp. Yeah, we do. We pick and choose. But you know what? So do you. You pick and choose with don't lie. You think that's a good one. You pick and choose. Don't bear false witness to your neighbor. You pick and choose. But it comes down to the abomination of homosexuality. And all of a sudden, whoop, wait, wait, we're not going to accept that. The difference is when you rightly divide Scripture, you understand that the law is written in three different phases. And it is important to distinguish between what is ceremonial, what is civil, and what is moral law. Moral law doesn't change. And it is, in, it is, in, it is consistent with what God said in the book of Genesis. Man. Whew. All right. Why has all this happened? How does this road get to the place where they can't see what's going on? Quickly, I want you to go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. The book of Romans, chapter 1. 
verse 18. Let's put that up. Y'all with me? We're going to shout Sunday night. (laughs) Praise God. Pastor hadn't preached in two services, so I'm loaded. Professing themselves to be, hold on a second, I want verse 18. Romans 1, 18. Can Can we go to that? That's a good one too, but that's not where I'm headed yet. That's all right. Here we go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold, everybody look at that, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. First of all, what's Paul talking about? Verse 18 starts with the word for, doesn't it? For. For. What is it there? For. The apostle is giving reason for what he just said. In verses 16 and 17, Paul describes the gospel of Christ as the power of God that that brings salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that the righteousness of God, everybody say the righteousness of God, is revealed from faith to faith. And so the unrighteousness of man is revealed and God's wrath is pronounced upon it. But look why. Everybody say, hold, they held the truth in unrighteousness. The Greek word here, and I've never seen this before until I was studying this recently. The Greek word here is kateko, which means to suppress, to hold down, to quash, in the sense to lessen the intensity. It is to temper truth. It is to restrain truth. It is to keep truth within limits. This particular situation is that there is a willful suppression of truth. They know God exists, but they suppress it. They know what the word is. This is why when you think, how can they not see that? It's black and white. It's because they have suppressed they have restrained. They have, it's like taking truth down to the, the pond and sticking it under the water until it dies. They suppress the truth. Amen. Why? If I suppress truth, I can live how I want and not feel bad about it. Say it again. If I suppress truth, I can live how I want and not feel bad about it. So how is truth today suppressed? Truth is suppressed today by movements, by hashtags, by marches, by media bias, by political candidates, by protest, by social media attacks, by the dark suppression that is found in the pagan temples of secularism throughout universities, throughout all of academia that launches themselves into saying no to God. How is it that those can look and stand behind a desk that are smarter than anything? Say, there is no God. Because they have suppressed truth so long. They have suppressed it and put it down and put it down and put it down and have gone after it so long that it leads to the next phase that I'll get to in just a minute. How is truth suppressed? When we remove God from our platforms of politics... When presidents say, we no longer have Judeo-Christian values. When God has said, you're not welcome in this debate. Suppressing truth. Somebody say suppressing truth. Let's go on to verse 19. Romans 1 verse 19. So they have suppressed the truth 
because that which may be known of God is manifest to them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. God has given to us enough evidence of his existence from the universe, from earth, from plant, from the human body. When a baby is born, there should be no reason that a doctor looks at that baby and said, there is a God. There is a God. There is a God. Amen. But they were without excuse. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Their foolish heart was darkened. My question is, why can't they see it? Why is it that they can't get this? Why? This has been around for years. It's not like we just woke up one day and said, oh, that's a perversion. It's been a perversion for thousands of years. I didn't start it. It's been that way since Eden. Okay? Why can't they see it? I'd like for you to go to a passage of Scripture. It is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 10. Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse number 10. Look at this. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, there's that word again. You know what unrighteousness is? Here's a big revelation. Not doing right. Y'all write that down? Unrighteousness is what? Not doing right. Okay. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because, what? They receive not the love for the truth that they might be saved. They receive not the love for the truth. Most of the stuff coming from Babylon alphabet brew makes one stop and say, these are smart people. Why can't they get it? When one suppresses truth, they come under a satanic deception. Everybody say, all deceivableness. They're deceived because they receive not a love for the truth. How does God respond? It continues in verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. To a person that believes a lie, it is reality to them. It is a reality. That's why talking to somebody that is having this lie that they're living and, and believing it, it is so hard to get through. And it takes God and the love of God to get through to them so they can see that they have not received a love of the truth. God send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that all might be damned who believe not the truth but hath pleasure in unrighteousness. This is why they can't get it. It's because they're deceived by Satan and under the delusion by God. They're deceived by Satan and under delusion by God. Let's go back to Romans. Pick up this pathway to perversion one more time. In Romans 1 and 22, it says, Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. And what did they do? They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like 
a corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Then look at this. They change the truth of God into a lie. When you suppress truth long enough, it dies to you. When they suppress truth to the point that all of a sudden it now becomes idolatry. It becomes idol worship. That no longer is it about giving God glory. No longer is it about a God that is incorruptible. But it is the embracing of depravity. It is the embracing of things that are so despicable and we cannot see it. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is, listen to this, this is idolatry in action. Humanity rejects the glory of God to create their own version of God that fits them. The own version of God means I can accept Scripture to say what I want it to say. I can say that Jesus never said anything about homosexuality and bypass the fact that he had plenty to say about marriage. Suppressing church truth rather changes glory, the glory of God into something that's awesome and beautiful and then it becomes grotesque and ugly. Amen. For this cause, Romans 1 and 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Didn't preach them a message? Didn't send them to a camp? Didn't send an evangelist to them? God gave them up to vile affections. Well, they already suppressed the truth. They converted the truth into a lie. And so here's what happens. For this reason, look at the first phrase there in verse 26. Because they suppressed the truth and believed a perpetual lie, a lie on the truth eventually leads to idolatry and the rejection of God. God gave them up to their passions. This is when the idol takes over and control. Here's what they don't realize is that there is a demonic influence with perversion to pervert God's plan. It is a demonic influence and passions draw and lust draw, but there comes a point when God backs away and says, have at it. But at that point, the passions become the God and the idol becomes the master. The emotion becomes the master. They cannot do anything. They're, they're driven. They're foaming. They're mad and they're angry because God has said, I back away. I back away. Why? What were their vile affections? For their women changed the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. Unseemly. You don't have time for me and don't want me to go into that. And receiving in themselves that recompense of air which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are inconvenient. They suppressed the truth. They suppressed the truth. God gave them over to vile affections. Homosexuality, same-sex, unfettered sex, is a deliberate exchange for the natural to the unnatural, according to this scripture.
according to the scripture. I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm about done. The landing gear is down. But I'm a long way out. Sex has become modern day pagan worship. The religion of secularism is one of the most driving forces today to legalize unfettered sex. Look at the practices of pagan worship long ago. They have resurfaced in other names. They're the same demons in a new dress. The pagan worship of the goddess Ashtoreth, you've probably heard of that in Scripture, the pagan goddess Ashtoreth was noted that her worship was connected to sensuality, vile sexual encounters, ritual prostitution, homosexuality, sodomy, and bestiality in their worship. There is a correlation today between pagan worship and today's unfettered sex movement. The ancient symbol of Ashtoreth was the same image that the nasty women's movement march used in 2017. The old pagan Ashtoreth had the same image that the nasty women used in 2017. How far have we come? We're really, we're really modern, aren't we? There's a so-called pastor, and I use that word very loosely even in that. Now, I'm not going to give her credit by mentioning her name. She don't deserve it. But this so-called lesbian, foul-mouthed, vulgar, tattooed-laden proclaiming of the gospel of free, safe, shameless sex. During a podcast, in an interview, this, this so-called female pastor said these words. To be uninhibited sexually in the same ways, if it is not like a pathetical thing, can be a sign of spiritual growth. I also want people, she says, to have sexual flourishing, whatever that looks like for them. This same woman tweeted on her space and said, I'm inviting all women to mail in their purity rings. And I will make a massive art project in the shape, same thing Ashtoreth is, shape so that you can join with me and celebrate your impurity. So the idolatry of Ashtoreth is alive and well in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. No wonder God said, I gave them over to a reprobate mind. Let me just stop here and say, in this study, and I, I had to eventually stop studying because it just bothered me so bad. Do you know why God said, run out the Canaanites? If you knew the vulgarity of their worship, you would understand why God said, run them out. Do you realize today that the worship, I'll give you just a couple PG, it's PG illustrations. The worship of Molech. You've heard of the worship of Molech as an idol god with his arms out like this and they would put their babies in the arm of the idol god and that baby would burn. While that baby is burning on the idol god, they are having sexual relationship orgies down here to produce other babies to put it back in the idol god. 
Where are we at today with abortion? That it's free love. I can have sex any way I want to with whoever I want to. And if they think for a minute this is just about some kind of medical emergency, this is about I'll sleep who I want to without consequence and then I'll take it to Molech and I'll offer it up there and go have sex again so that I can have a baby again. Do you realize today that there are those that are celebrating how many abortions they've had? To the, to the Lamb of God, have mercy. To the church of Jesus Christ, let us wake up. Let us wake up. This is a spiritual warfare that is a reality. And we're going to face it more and more in the days of ahead. Why? Because God has withdrawn he has with, with this is why all this stuff is coming out now. God has said, here you go. Why? Because it is only when they come to the end of themselves that they become like Greece. Greece was one time a thriving empire. Homosexuality brought it down. Rome was a thriving empire. Homosexuality and other things brought it down. I'm telling you today, there's got to be a call that says America repent. There's got to be a call today, America, get right with God. But there is hope. Somebody say, there is hope. The Rome of Paul's day was plagued with perversion, yet there was revival in Rome. Corinth was plagued with perversion, yet there was revival. There is even a church in Babylon, amen, in the New Testament. Revival. It's Satan's seat. There was revival. Hallelujah. So right under the nose of all this, what is God going to do? He's going to send revival to bring people out of the perversion, to bring people out of the destruction. That revelation will hit them, and they will get to the place that, oh, this is messing my world. It's tearing me up. Praise the Lord. Can we take a minute and just love the Lord? Take a minute and love the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help us today, Lord. Help us today. Praise be to God. I want to, I'm wrapping up with this. This hopefully will help you. I want to talk to you about seven keys to discussing this subject with an LGBTQ acquaintance, friend, family member. I want to tell you, the Bible has a plan for how to handle them. Are you ready? Let's go to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. If you've got a friend at school or somebody you know at school that is dealing with the issue of dysphoria when it comes to gender, or you have a friend at school, family member that is dealing with homosexuality, there is a way to talk to them and still be Christ-like. Okay? Let's read. 2 Timothy 2.24. Everybody say, the servant of the Lord. Must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those Instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of truth. Okay? They have opposed themselves. They're in a place of deception. It is God that will give them repentance to the acknowledging of truth. The lie begins to be overtaken by the resurrection of truth in their mind. Okay? 
and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who hath taken captive by him at his will. Seven keys to follow when discussing and talking to someone of these persuasions. Number one, put God first. Remember you are a servant of the Lord. Put God first, period. Jesus has got to be your Lord and Master because you will meet with a, a, a blowback, a spiritual blowback like you've never seen before. And so it is concluded in my mind. It is figured out in my mind. Before I ever talk to somebody, I am, I am convinced. And he knows and I know he's my master and he is Lord. So he can tell me what his opinion is about this topic. Number one, put God first. Number two, don't fight. Say that with me. Don't fight. He said, don't strive with them. Don't fight over the topic. You're not here to win an argument. You're here to win a soul. If you get into a place and you're in a discussion with someone and it turns into a fight, walk away. Or bring it down some way. A soft answer, turn away wrath. Whatever you can do, do not let it start or end with an escalated fight. Don't quarrel with them. You're not in to win an argument. You're in to win a soul. That's number two. Don't fight. Number three, be kind to everyone. For what does he say? Be gentle unto all men. Be gentle unto all men. Amen. That means I've got to be fair and kind to them. I'm not going to poke fun of the fact they got purple hair and weird expressions. I'm not going to poke fun that they dress like a girl and they're a boy. Or they're a boy and they dress like a girl. Don't be unkind. Hallelujah. But pastor, it's just so, so easy. No, don't be unkind. Be kind to everyone. That's number three. Number four, be skillful in your response. For the scripture says, be apt to teach. Know what the Bible says. Know where you stand. Know what the same-sex arguments are. Understand, take some time to study. I, and I'll tell you right now, one of the best books you can get is written by Dr. Michael Brown and it is, is entitled, Can a Christian be Gay? I think that's the title. Dr. Michael Brown, go get it. It's a deep, deep study that will help you in understanding what they say and what they're thinking. Amen. But be skillful in your response. They got a question? Ask God to help you answer it in a way that they cannot come back with that. Be skillful. That's number four. Number five, keep your spirit in check. The word here is be patient. Be patient. The Bible says in Luke 21 and 19, in your patience possess your soul. Be patient. Have some endurance with them. You're not going to convince them over one day. They're going to be wondering what you're really all about. Be patient. Amen. Endure. If there's anything that we ought to be tolerant with, is that we ought to be tolerant with the person, not with the lifestyle. Chances are you're dealing with a person who's confused and angry. Speak softly. Keep your spirit in check. Number six, instruct with meekness. What does that mean? That means you could crush them in the argument, but you don't because you keep the power that you have under control. You've got to be even-tempered. Last thing, 
Here's what the scripture says. If God, preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Here's the thing. I can go through all these things, but wind up with this understanding. Let God do the convicting. Let God do the convicting. Because I can't change them, but I can love them. I can't change them, but I can still have compassion. I can't change them, but I can still be kind. I can't change them. Doesn't mean I'm going to jump into their, their mess with them. But I can love them. Stand with me, please. Praise God. Praise God. The difficulty with loving a family member who is in the LGBTQ persuasion, the difficulty is they don't understand love. Really, they're confused. They don't understand love. You can tell them that you love them, but to them, love means acceptance of their lifestyle. If you love me, you accept it. No, I accept you as a person. I respect you as a person. I love you as a creature created in the image of God. And I care for your soul. Doesn't mean that I can agree with what you're doing. But it is through a gentle heart and prayer. The way you love people. We have family members in our, our, our family that are headed down this road or already down this road. The way you love them is not beating them up on Facebook. Tell them how bad they are and how wrong they are and how ignorant they are. Even if they are. Don't beat them up on Facebook. You don't blast them and tell them, you know, if you knew the Bible, you'd get right with God. They know the Bible. But they need the convicting power of God to hit their life. So behind the scenes, pray for them. God, would you help so-and-so today? Lord, would you help? Call that schoolmate out. Now, I know. What if, what if a schoolmate, I'm just going to tell this as, as an instance. What if a schoolmate comes to you and says, call me. I feel like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a girl, but I identify as a boy. So you call me Billy Bob instead of Susie Q. What do you do? <laughs> I tell you right now, you're no Billy Bob. I've seen a Billy Bob. You're not a Billy Bob. That's, that's really a way to do that. <laughs> Here's what I recommend. And I prayed about this today, Lord, what can I say? What's their last name? Their last name is Jones. I'll call you Jones. I can be kind to you. I don't have to fight you on that. I don't have to argue over he, the, she, she, him, he, she. I don't have to argue about over that. I was trained to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. One of these days is going to get me in trouble. It's all right. Sorry. But if you can't call them by their name, they want to be called by, call them Jones. Hey, Jones, how you doing? If they ask you why, it's because I have a conviction that what I see is a reality and truth is a reality and this is a reality to me and I can't lie. But I'll do my best to be kind to you and respect you for, for that particular thing. So that's why I call you Jonesy. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You can be inventive without being accepting. But I'm sorry. 
I'm just not going to call you Billy Bob because you are Susie Q. I'm not going to add to the confusion. Just because you want me to accept you like that, I'll accept you as a person, but I'm not going to accept you because I condone you by throwing you in the category that you are not. Because what I understand is that you're confused. You're confused. I hope you've heard me tonight. I, I, it's not a topic we talk about very often. I haven't talked about it. I haven't talked on this since 2017. But I feel like it was very important for these kids to hear what the Bible has to say. And for adults to hear, oh, I know it's wrong, but how do I answer it? How do I deal with these questions? How do I deal with these issues? God, we love you today. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now. We praise you. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorchurch.com to learn more about our ministry.